Hello, and welcome to another installment in our Fireside Chat series. So this Fireside Chat series is intended to provide sparks for conversation around a range of ethical issues uh, that are relevant to folks in Nova Scotia, particularly those working in healthcare. My name is Marika Warren, and I'm the network ethicist for the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network. And here with us today to talk about parenting a child with Down syndrome, we have Christine Lane, who is uh, known as Kathleen's mom, Ian's mom, and James' mom, depending <laughs> on the circumstance. So I'm wondering, Christine, if you could sort of start us at the beginning of your journey as uh, the parent of a child with Down syndrome. So how did you react when you first discovered that uh, your son had Down syndrome? And what was your biggest concern sort of immediately? Sure. We did not find out that Ian was uh, living with Down syndrome until after he was born. And it, it was an unusual case because, as you know, he was over a year old before we knew. Um, with my first child, I did not have any prenatal testing and I um, carried that on with Ian. So we did not have a maternal screen at all uh, through blood work. The only screen we did have was the uh, nuchal fold screen which did show a higher incidence of Down syndrome. Um, I didn't want to pursue anything further as far as an amnio or um, any further testing with that. So um, we just waited till he was born. There was some concern at one point about uh, his heart and we had a closer look at that and everything seemed to be fine. So we just um, carried on with at least we knew that he was going to be healthy when he was born. We still didn't know if he had Down syndrome. So when he was born, um, he came out and everybody saw him and everybody thought he looked great and his APGAR score was was high. He did have to spend a little stint in um, the NIC unit because uh, his Billy Rubin was high. Mm. So he had some jaundice there, uh, but that was looked, af looked, looked after after about 24 hours under the lights and then we came home like four or five days later so everything seemed fine. A lot of his gross motor skills he met without any problem and actually quicker probably in some cases than his typically developing uh, sibling. So everything looked good. Um, it wasn't until he was over a year old and then there, you could see some delays. Um, his walking didn't come along as quick as it should have and um, even though his typically developing sibling gross motor wise wasn't as uh, quick with the milestones. Um, she was very quick to speak and to, so he didn't have all the, that kind of component. So I, I take him to the pediatrician and I knew he was delayed in some areas. I never saw Down syndrome when I looked at him. I really didn't see it. I think looking back, other people saw it right away. I never really saw it. I just saw Ian. So, um, and not that seeing Down syndrome was a bad thing, but I just, so we went into the pediatrician. I went in with my son, Ian, and I came out with a stranger. Basically, I felt like I knew nothing about him. So that was really difficult. That was yeah. a very hard time. But I think that once, after I go through all that, and once you start reading and you read about how people found out whether they were 13 weeks along or 20 weeks along, or you know the child was born and they found out, it's pretty much the same experience. What's interesting is that I had been living with this boy, my sweet boy, for a year. And it was the same experience. It was he was a stranger, which is really sad. And it, it took a long time, it took, a long, it took about three months to sort of come back and go, oh, wait a minute, this, it's just all, it was all in your head. Really nothing had changed, <laughs> right? Like his, he reacted the same, everybody reacted the same, all family members reacted the same to him. Of course, we'd tell everybody. So, you know, I think some people already had a heads up, but um, 
Yeah, so that was really different. It was interesting. So when people talk about getting the news, like I said, whether you get the news at 13 weeks or 15, yeah, it's rough. And it's rough whether you know them or not. It's, it's just, it's quite a ride. Now, I remember that day and I remember what I felt like and I remember what it felt like to see him and, and look and see Down syndrome. And I remember all that, but that is not the reality that I live in today. That wasn't the reality I was in six months later, but at the time I remember it and I so I can completely identify with people finding out it's devastating. But you know, it's always devastating getting bad news. Yeah. Everybody knows where they were when this telephone call came in yeah. or that came in. You know the time of date, you know if it was light or dark outside, like it's, yeah, it's life-changing. So yeah, it was life-changing for sure. It sounds like there's also a lot of you know, resilience there and that sort of in that mm -hmm. period after you adjusted and it sounds like some of your coping was also getting the services like that, you said was, that you had felt that he had potentially missed I'm a doer, out on. so you wanted to do things. Yeah. Okay, what are we going to do about this? Yeah. So yeah, you wanted to fix, you know, whatever could be fixed. Right. You wanted just to help him. I mean, I had a pediatrician when we got to see a pediatrician. She... I told her the story and she said she thought that it was the best thing that could have happened to him because it was time for him to walk and he walked and it was time for him to finger feed and, and we fed him and he picked things up with his fingers. I mean, I, he was over a year and a half and I got the, the new parent package from the Canadian Down Syndrome Society and I could go down the checklist of all the things that could have happened but didn't. So that was pretty encouraging, right? Yeah. You know, it really was. It's like, oh, wow, look what could have happened, and none of these things happened. Now, if you were expecting them to happen, for example, a big one is breastfeeding. They're going to tell you, oh, the kids can't latch on, and it's really difficult. Anybody who's been nursing a typically <laughs> developing child, it's not that easy, right? So to already have it in your head that this is probably not going to happen, or if it is, it's going to be a challenge, you're already setting yourself back a little bit, right? So and I think thinking about you know the way that expectations are shaped by the information you get by the presence or absence of diagnosis when we think of mm -hmm. you know ethics being about how we treat people mm -hmm. that those expectations play a huge role and so thinking about mm -hmm. how are we influencing parents expectations and families Completely. expectations is a really important piece of how we Completely. You know, respond to uh, to kids with down syndrome as well as you know other sort of sure. atypically developing for sure. you know, like kids sort of across I'm kind of glad I didn't know at birth that he was going to be whisked away for a lot of tests in the NIC unit when really he managed other than the Billy room and he did mm -hmm. fine and he did nurse he nursed for a year and and he was the one that stopped nursing because he was busy and wanted to do other things right. so and but had I known that I probably you know yeah, it really would have it really would have changed things I really think it would have so I followed what to expect when what to expect in the first year right and we followed that and he did all those things which you know I guess in hindsight was probably um, beneficial for him I think it was yeah absolutely yeah so at this point mm -hmm. how does Down syndrome affect your life and your family's life uh, sort of in a day-to-day -day basis right if at all yeah well I guess it's hard to say I mean I, I know it does because I guess the biggest thing is like with him being 14 almost 15 now um, you know, we can't really leave him. I, I leave him at home maybe for 10 or 15 minutes, but we're not at the point. So if you had a typical 15-year-old, yeah, you can go to the store or you can, you know, go away for the day. That's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen. Now, the other, the other piece is that I find difficult, probably because my personality, is just 
um, fostering friendships for him because you have to be a lot more proactive where mm-hmm. most kids will do that themselves. And I think there's a statistic out there, I mean, people will correct me if I'm wrong, but kids with Down syndrome have to be taught a lot. It's not, there's things that they're just not going to learn automatically. So if I have a child with Down syndrome and I don't, I never felt bad about Ian having Down syndrome. What amazed me was when his younger brother came along and it wasn't all the things that Ian couldn't do. The miracle was, look at all the things that he learns that nobody taught him. It's amazing. That's, you know, the human, a, a functioning human brain is amazing thing, you know. So I never looked at, always oh, in this sad, this it's look at look at all the things we learn and you know we take a lot of credit for stuff we show our kids <laughs> really you know they're they're fine <laughs> so when i sent james to school and i sent my firstborn to school it was you know different because like uh don't worry he'll learn <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so it's it's kind of neat so I, I guess that's the biggest thing and the friendship thing again they have to be you know they have to be taught and you have to set good examples and a lot of times uh, kids with disabilities would have friends who also have disabilities. So right. the two, you know, there's a lot of um, more intervention that's needed. So that's probably two of the biggest things. Is, right. yeah, that's kind of how it affects it. Day-to-day life, like we, he's Ian. He's ours and he's our son and brother and sibling and so grandson and yeah. I imagine nephew. Has, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. Has needs just as you know, Kathleen has needs and James has needs, and you meet yeah, them differently in each, I guess in each so. case. I yeah. it's hard for you to know. Yeah, and I don't want to minimize it yeah. because somebody coming in would probably go, oh, I could never do this. But I really don't, day to day, it's just, yeah, they all have needs. And I always think in my head, everybody's got something. So this is his. I think there's more benefit than downside right now, but that could be me wearing rosy colored mom yeah. glasses. I don't know. But- but you know, it, it speaks to again that that resilience and ability to cope with something that seemed devastating at the outset. Oh sort gosh, of thing totally that, different. You know, yes, at, totally the, at different. this point, you know, I really to, feel for people, and this is the big question mark with the prenatal testing because when you find out that news, it is devastating. And I had a child for a year, and I found out that news, and it's devastating. And yeah, you want that problem to go away. There's no question about it. You think I want to go back half an hour ago, right? <laughs> I want that and how do back. I get there? Right. right. I, I totally understand it. Um, so I know that you've you've referred sometimes to people, you mentioned you know, prenatal testing and sort of the whole set of concerns that arise there, but you've referred to people with Down syndrome as sort of canaries in the coal mine around that. Can you sort of explain what that, that phrase means to you in the context of thinking about sort of right. how we approach Down syndrome socially? So. Down syndrome, I always say, is kind of easy to pick on because the kids look different, people sound different, uh, they move different, um, they need extra help, you know, operating in society. So that's kind of an easy thing. Have you right. have you noticed a shift in levels of support available sort of over the course of, uh, of your experience with Ian? Um, well, I've noticed that compared to... Um, kids who have other challenges, there's certainly a lot more available for um, other uh, disabilities or other inflictions or whatever, you know, other medical issues. There's certainly a lot more. There's not really a program like through the hospital or anything like that that takes, which would be very helpful for families, especially new families. Right. And I, I think that speaks to, it also speaks to if the, the fact that it's not there is kind of tells a little bit of the story. 
Yeah, and where where are we allocating resources? Right, right. Sort of in the right. in the spectrum, and if we're focusing right. a lot of resources on the prenatal right. screening, does that mean that we devote fewer resources it to does. people who are who are living? And I, I think feel like you, it does. You know, mentioned you know, what what do parents need or want, and mm -hmm. that it wasn't sort of you know, you know relieve us of the the misery, but provide us with the supports that. Right we need to right. live well. Right. And because if you look at the condition of Down syndrome, it's changed a lot over the last like 40 or 50 years. You know what I mean? Like really a, a new parent now can't pick up anything that was written like before even, you know, 2000 or 95 for sure. You know what I mean? You can't look at something right. from the 1980s and think it applies today because it probably wouldn't. But as a new parent, the first thing you would probably do somewhere in Nova Scotia would go to the IWK website, for example, and you'd put in on their search engine you can select and you can pick a condition and you would put in Down syndrome. Now surely Down syndrome, because we've pretty much dedicated a whole floor to finding that chromosome, surely there'd be a lot of things you would assume, right? Well if you put, I haven't done lately, but if you put in Down syndrome, most of what comes up first is it has to do with prenatal testing. The next thing that's offered is probably the Nova Scotia Down Syndrome Society, which is a group of parents which probably get very little public funding at all. Like, for example, the Canadian Down Syndrome Society would only, last I heard it was about a million dollars a year uh, from the Canadian government. Yeah. There's 45,000 people in Canada with, with Down Syndrome, living with Down Syndrome. So there's something going on. Right. There, there are questions <laughs> you know, that we can raise about there's questions. How, how we're allocating resources and why and again, right. sort of what are the what And are the, the journey for me has been the expectations of when I found out and part of it was that what was boosting me up was there'll be a lot of help and we're not the first family that has to go through this and my first thought in my head was when I found out was I'm not going to cry about this. This is not something to cry over. Anyway, I did cry <laughs> for a couple of weeks. But um, after that, I thought, no, there'll be lots of help. And what's been the hardest for me through this whole thing is realizing, no, there's not. There's not a lot of help. Isn't that interesting? Isn't this interesting? Oh, yeah. this is. So that's been disappointing and surprising. But yeah, and it sounds like it's not necessarily sort of big ticket, not really sort of, sort of things not or really. things that are. Um, Unavailable, but again, it's the choices well, it's that we're making about how well, to who can access them. I mean, them. there's a there's a program running for for children with different um, social and behavioral and and intellectual issues running out of the IWK right now. That's well, I'm not sure what we're up to. Last I heard, it was about 15 million a year, maybe more than that now. Um, even a piece of that action would have been, you know, allocated to a to a population of kids with Down syndrome because they are still coming which is interesting to me too. There's, so there's you know, something that should be looked at, I feel like. Absolutely, again, with the, you know, without the needed supports, because I think the support needs for typically developing children, mm -hmm. they're, they're certainly there, mm -hmm. they're everywhere, we just don't see them as such, and it's right. only when you have needs for different sorts of supports that right. you say, oh, well, that's a special quote-unquote need, but it's not special. No. It's just different. That's right. Uh, and so, that, again, thinking yeah. about how do we, you know, accommodate that sort of spectrum of of needs mm -hmm. um, in ways that are that are fair and that reflect you know deep values that we have about the value of you know diversity. In well, general supposedly, for yeah, yeah, and it's, again, <laughs> connecting connecting those values to be espoused with the actions that we right. take, and that's a lot of a lot the, of where the hard effort work it. is. I see a gap. Yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely, so. and it's that 
you know, how do we close those gaps mm -hmm. and what's what's needed mm -hmm. to close some of those gaps so our sort of our actions are better aligned mm -hmm. with what we you know, espouse as our, our core beliefs there. Right. And that's been interesting. That's kind of the journey I've been on, like from I was kind of very optimistic in the beginning and now I realize so you kind of see things a little differently as the years go on. Well, we so appreciate your you know, really honest discussion <laughs> about this. So you know, both on both sides, you know, what what the yeah. uh you know, the things that have you know, brought you, you know, joy and learning and the things mm -hmm. that have been you know, challenging and again right. the, you know, the ways right. that you know, social decisions have affected right. the degree to which you're experiencing you know, right. joy or frustration in a, given, yeah. in a given moment in your parenting journey. So what does it say when there's not only a lot of, uh, there's a prenatal testing, it's, it's part of your um, you know, prenatal health care when you go and you think, oh, this is just so I can have information. I really feel like that is, that's kind of the ground zero. There, there's a lot that comes from that through society. Right, absolutely. Thinking not just about the choice of individual parents, right. but all that background And I am context. completely for choice, which I don't want to. It's just I would have assumed that my choice was just as important to go ahead and, and either not be tested or find out that, you know, my child is going to grow up with a disability but carry on. That should be a choice as well. If, right. if it's all about choice, and that should be supported as well. So, um, yeah, I, I really feel like that has, it, it kind of spreads throughout society, and, and not just that the testing is here now, but it's getting improved upon, and it's more efficient, and it's earlier, and th that speaks volumes. That's not, that's not just, oh, isn't that great? We're gonna, we're gonna stop, you know, we're gonna save a lot of money, or we're gonna, it really, it, it says a lot that p that's being continued to work on, continue to be improved, less invasive. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, the, the questions and the discussion, sort of it's not concluded, it's not done, you know, we still need to really actively engage. And right. again, with that question of sort of the canaries in the coal mine, sort of, you know, where right. as our ability to detect conditions at earlier points increases of how do we respond to that uh, that potential and again thinking right. about and again thinking the that, range of choices available and, and how we support or not that's right so you've certainly given us a lot of things to think about talk about and hopefully spurred some of that social conversation mm -hmm. forward that uh, I think you're indicating we really need to have around it would what be we're great doing to and have why. more public input more these are big questions and Absolutely. you know and I think informed uh, input as well, sort of, so where people have that understanding of what life is mm -hmm. uh, with Down syndrome, mm -hmm. what it is is not, in terms of, like mm -hmm. you say, the concern around suffering. And if I if I pick up something on the internet or I'm reading an article uh, and it's another parent somewhere else in the world who has a child with Down syndrome, it's nice for me because quite often we're on the same page about a lot of things. Because sometimes you think, am I just too? Is this too much? Am I not being realistic? Am I not seeing things how they really are? And, reading something from another parent and it's like no this is happening where I am I'm happy my kids are happy you know we're doing all right so we're pretty if there's if there's Kool-Aid we've all had some I feel like a lot of the time like so anyway. all right I think any on the note of yeah we're doing all right is uh, is a good one you know both like say parents and uh, and people with Down syndrome so again thank you so much for uh, chatting with us that was fantastic and again I think has given uh, lots of impetus for the, the sorts of discussions that I think we need to have. So thank you so much well, Christine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah.